session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Halakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program. Um, you can, uh, also see me on Instagram live right now. It's the first time I'm doing this while on the air. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. And also my podcast is now on Spotify as well. So you can see, uh, or listen to that as well on pod, uh, on Spotify's podcasts. Uh, let's get into the books of the week. So, uh, the books of the week are actually connected with the one I'm going to talk about tonight and next week's. For next week, it's going to be Boys and Sex by Peggy Orenstein. Uh, Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity. So that'll be this week's book of the week that I'll talk about on next Monday's show. But tonight I'll talk about the book that she wrote before this, Peggy Orenstein, which is Girls and Sex, Navigating the Complicated New Landscape. And uh, this was a really interesting read a great book i highly recommend it to everyone girls boys whoever you are parents or even if you're just trying to understand things in our culture um, related to sex and so i wanted to read both books girls and sex and boys and sex that you wrote to obviously get a more fuller picture of what's going on and her insights uh, but what i liked about the book was that she interviews about 70 or so high school and college-aged girls to talk about their experiences so She's having conversations with the women, the females, about their sexual experiences and sex and different things related to that. And one of the things or big takeaways for me of this book was about having conversations and how we should be having more conversations, of course, with boys, but also with uh, girls about sex, sexuality, issues related to consent, issues related to even sexual pleasure, um, and everything else that is related to sex, even the emotions related to uh, sexual relationships. But unfortunately, sex is one of those taboo topics that too often gets ignored or not talked about at all. And so uh, the book itself, in a way, is doing that. The way she wrote the book was by having these conversations with different uh, younger girls and women. And through that, she wrote the book to tell us more about what they're going through and also some of the issues they face and what we maybe can do about that. Um, so I'll go through some of the chapters and different things that she discusses in the book. Uh, one thing early on, she talked about the difference between sexuality and sexualization. Might sound very similar, but here's what she said. Uh, I used to say when speaking publicly on college campuses or to groups of parents that one could disentangle sexualization from sexuality by remembering that the first is foisted on girls from the outside, the other cultiv cultivated from within. Now she does add, I'm no longer sure it's so simple, which I'll, I'll talk a bit about. So sexuality 
is something that's cultivated from within someone's experience, whereas sexualization is something that's foisted on a girl or put from the outside onto them. Uh, and that's very different. They might seem similar when you sexualize a female, it might seem like it's related to sexuality, but there's a difference because when you're sexualized, it's someone else's experience that's important. But sexuality is an individual's own experience internally. And oftentimes, girls are not allowed or do not have, um, because of the lack of conversations or the uh, way we talk to them about themselves, sex, and how they should experience sex, they don't recognize that sex can be something that they enjoy, that they have an experience with. And so this is true in almost all cultures. She was talking primarily to American girls of different backgrounds, not just white, but different ethnic backgrounds. Um, but in the Iranian culture, this is maybe even more true, or I shouldn't say maybe, it is more true, where um, females are told from a very young age that sex, first of all, they're not told anything about sex. We don't talk about it at all. Um, when I talk to clients or just people about having the quote-unquote talk that we sometimes talk about, about sex and reproduction and those things with their parents, almost all of them say they never did that. They never had that. They're like, what are you talking about? It was as if sex doesn't exist. And this is the problem. When things are taboo, essentially we make something taboo because one, we don't know how to handle it. And two, because we think it's bad, we often think that if we don't talk about it, it goes away. But not talking about something doesn't make that thing go away. It only means that people suffer in silence, that things happen in the dark, uh, that worse things will be a result of that. So, for example, if we don't talk about child sexual abuse, um, it'll still happen. It doesn't go away. But if it does happen, people won't know how to deal with it. People won't respond to it well. People won't uh, be educated on what's okay, what's not okay. So if you think I'm not going to tell my kids about uh, childhood sexual abuse or things that can happen to them because I don't want them to even know, I don't want it to even think about it, um, that's not going to help. It doesn't take away the risk. Similarly, if we think if we don't talk about sex, it'll disappear. That's not true either. Sex is a part of life that people will experience. And if we don't talk about it, if we don't educate and inform um, the youth and enjoy people uh, to talk people about it, um, then they won't be able to actually know what's going on to better help and protect themselves. And even research shows that. So uh, when people are not educated or even or told abstinence is the only way to deal with sex, um, you should just never do it. What we find is, in the research she talks about in the book, is they might delay by a few months the average age of starting sexual relationship, but they have higher rates of things like pregnancy, uh, STDs, because they don't know, the, they don't have the knowledge of what they're doing. They don't know how to protect themselves, what's right and what's wrong within that context, because they've just been told the whole thing is wrong. And so this can be true of both boys and girls, but we see it even more with females that they're told that having sex, enjoying sex, having anything related to a sexual relationship is wrong and bad and makes them bad. And so, of course, they're going to approach it in a type of way that unfortunately will be worse for them and has worse results. And that's what we see. And that's what she talks about in this book. And again, this is why I implore parents, if you have kids, if you have teenagers, don't be afraid to talk to them about these things. Uh, most parents think I should avoid these topics because they're uncomfortable. I should avoid these topics because 
If I talk about it, that means my kids will do the thing. If I talk to them about drugs, they'll do drugs. If I talk to them about sex, they'll do sex. And in a way, we think by not talking about it, um, it will, in a way, disappear, that people uh, won't have to deal with that issue, that it won't come up. But that's not the case. All you're doing is throwing your kids into the world unprepared, um, uninformed, and unable to take care of themselves and protect themselves. So if we don't talk to girls about sex, and if we just tell them sex is something bad, something horrible that they should never do, or that makes them bad and even will embarrass the family and other things that we unfortunately at times will tell women and females in Iranian culture, then of course they won't be able to express their sexuality in a healthy way. Um, as she talks about in the book, very often girls will not, uh, in sexual encounters, think about their own pleasure. They'll only think about the pleasure of their partner in the sexual relationship or the sexual encounter. They won't even realize that their wants and their needs can matter. And of course, when we don't talk about sex, when we don't talk about the sexuality of a female, of the, of the girl, she won't understand that that's something that she can think about. And so there's this theme in the book of what is sometimes called intimate justice, which means justice in the realm of intimacy, of sexual intimacy, and how it's not just about rape, and rape comes up in the book, um, something like one in five college students, yes, one in five college women are raped during college, an estimated 11 to 20 percent report the crime to their authorities. So um, it still very much is a big issue and something that people um, hopefully will pay attention to, that this happens and is still very much underreported and uh, women have a hard time coming forward for a variety of reasons. Um, so that is often the case that uh, women are being sexually harassed and have um, even rape is something that many females will experience. And oftentimes it comes or it's related to these issues. For example, uh, when you tell a woman what she wants and sex doesn't even matter, then of course, if she's not enjoying it or something doesn't feel right, she might not feel like it's okay to bring something up. Secondly, avoiding conflict is something that we unfortunately even more put onto girls and women in general, that they're supposed to be in a relationship, uh, the ones that make things more smooth. So don't make things um, uh, uncomfortable. Don't avoid an awkward situation. And so many young girls share their experiences in the book of being in a situation, wanting to say no or not feeling okay, but feeling like it was not okay to say no. So even um, she shares some statistics about so many young girls report that to get out of intercourse, so to speak, they performed oral sex because they thought at least that way, uh, maybe they'll leave their partner satisfied and okay and at least end the situation and get out of that situation. So unfortunately, even though um, they are thinking in a way of what they can do, they don't even realize that them not being okay, them not feeling good in the situation is something that they can talk about or bring up to the person that they're with. So when we talk about intimate justice, of course it includes things like rape and sexual assault, but that even more that we can teach young girls that what you want matters, what feels good to you matters. That's another big issue, especially in casual sexual relationships. The pleasure of the girl is oftentimes very much not even considered. 
and they don't even think that they should be enjoying it so much as tolerating it or going through it because that has not been brought to their attention that their pleasure is important. So intimate justice, of course, includes rape, but as um, a quote that she says, that's a very low bar when we're talking about consent. That's a very low bar to have. Um, I was very happy that there was a chapter devoted to uh, LGBTQ uh, girls and what they're going through and the different experiences that they might have. I was really happy to see that. And reading the book, I didn't look through the table of contents. I was wondering about um, what about girls who are not heterosexual. And then there was a whole chapter on that. That was very interesting. Another topic that we might think, because we might think it's not a good thing, of course, there's nothing wrong with being not heterosexual. But unfortunately, we have a lot of our thoughts about it. And so parents often think, well, don't even talk about it as a possibility to um, remove or reduce the likelihood that it happens. But of course, we know that that's not the case. It doesn't affect uh, someone being homosexual, whether you talk about it or not. All you do is that you, if you don't talk about it, you don't allow for your child to feel comfortable to talk to you about it, or they don't know if you will accept if they tell you about it. And as you talked about in this book, and I'll talk about uh, often on this show, is that there's various levels of acceptance. So of course, maybe you didn't kick your kids out of your house, but she shares a story of one girl who says uh, that her mom will post pictures of her son, the you know this girl's brother with her, the girlfriend, because it's a heterosexual relationship, but won't post pictures of her with her girlfriend because she might be more ashamed or embarrassed of that relationship. So we realize acceptance has lots of different layers to it or lots of different ways that we can express that. And so I talk about that topic as well. Sex is one thing, but then the rights of the LGBTQ population are really everyone's rights. I think it's sometimes funny that we say, well, do does this group deserve full human rights? Does this group deserve full human rights when it's every human deserves human rights? That's not, it's kind of inherent in what we're saying. And so, of course, members of the LGBTQ community, we know things have gotten better, but still face a lot of stigma and uh, persecution and bullying and different types of things. And the more we don't talk about it, the more we don't make it okay, the more they suffer in silence and not just in silence, out in the open as well. Um, so the book does a great job, again, having those conversations in the me. Uh, and she even says discussions at one point, not just one conversation. Even when we use that word, having the quote unquote talk, we think of it as one talk. But really what you're doing is you're opening up the conversations. You're opening up different topics that your child can talk to you about. And that's what it's all about to allow your kids to feel that if something comes up in my life, I can tell my parents. If I find myself in a bad situation, I can tell my parents about what is going on. Um, and actually the last chapter of the book, I, I really liked it because it was, I think it was titled, What If We Told Them the Truth? And I think that's really what it comes down to. We often think by not telling our kids we're protecting them, but really we protect them much more when we tell them the truth about what's going on. Uh, when we tell girls that they're not bad to have sexual pleasure or to want to feel good. They're not bad if they want to talk to their partner about what they like and don't like about what is going on. And also, uh, the way we talk to our daughters and about women in general has to change. I know it's very cliche and easy to talk about, but the more we emphasize the 
physical looks of our daughters and with our sons talk about how strong they are, or smart they are, they feel that and that affects how they feel they should be that, and what gives them value. A lot of times our daughters are going to think what gives me value is being beautiful. If people find me beautiful, I'm valuable. People want to be around me. People want to be with me. But if I'm not, then I essentially can be worthless and other qualities are less important. And so recognize, do you talk to your son and daughter differently? Or if you have just daughters or just sons, do you talk to them differently because of their sex? And very often the cases that we do. And so that's another realization that many people might have that we, by doing that, affect the way that girls and then women feel about themselves. So uh, I really enjoyed this book because, as I said, it basically discussed or was um, written through conversations she was having with different young girls and women about their sexual experiences. And so in that way, opens the door for all of us to have these conversations with the people that are close to us in our lives because not talking about these things doesn't make them go away. It only makes our, we're throwing our kids out into the wilderness uh, less prepared and less informed that they need to be, and they don't know that they have us to talk to. So that was the book Girls and Sex by Peggy Ornstein. Again, the next book of the week is Boys and Sex by that same author, Peggy Ornstein. Looking forward to reading it and sharing it with you next week. All right, let's go to our first commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, in the first segment, I was talking about the book Girls and Sex by Peggy Ornstein. Again, the book of the week for this week is Boys and Sex by Peggy Ornstein. Um, Boys and Sex, I was recommended to me by a friend, Heather. And then she, uh, because I got that one, I thought I should also get Girls and Sex. So looking forward to talking about uh, that book next week. But as I mentioned in the first segment, what I really valued about this book, of course, I learned a lot and got to see uh, more and learn more about what girls are going through today when it comes to sex, casual hookups, relationships, how they feel about it, all different types of things. And of course, um, we can't say this is how girls feel as in there's one way that they're all going to feel. Each individual is going to have their own uh, unique experience, both in the world and internally that they're going through. But as I was talking about in the previous segment, what's so important to me is having the conversations. And so that's what I wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, it's funny because right now, many of us are home a lot more. We are around our loved ones more than we usually were, at least our uh, direct family. I should make that very clear. Not too many of our loved ones. We want to make sure we are um, practicing social distancing. We know that we can have a big impact on how serious the coronavirus pandemic is and how much of a negative impact it already has had a big negative impact. But what it does and doesn't do is going to be in a large part up to us and what we choose to do and not do. So I hope everyone is uh, practicing social distance or distancing or at least physical distancing being at home um, as much as possible. But uh, at the same time, as I was saying, you're probably around your, let's say, husband or wife much more than before or your kids or other family members that you do live with. And yet people are likely still not having the conversations that we know they need to have. And often our excuse for not having those conversations is, well, there's never a good time. 
when am I supposed to have that conversation with being so busy? And by the time we finally could talk about it, we're both so tired or in a good mood or a bad mood or whatever it is that we don't want to have those conversations. And so something we're going to be learning about ourselves during this period is that a lot of the things that we thought we weren't doing because we didn't have enough time, time was not the actual reason we were not doing those things. So if you weren't meditating, uh, now you're seeing that it wasn't probably a time issue. Something else was getting in the way of you doing that. And so conversations are the same thing. Um, to me, every relationship, whether we're talking about friendships, but especially romantic relationships and also relationships between parents and their kids, there's a series, you could say, of unhad conversations. Conversations that would benefit the relationship, but that one or both of the partners have been avoiding. And so the conversation just never happens. And this is really unfortunate because you can't have a very close, strong, and healthy relationship without having uncomfortable conversations. It's just not possible. You need to have those conversations to actually get close. Um, and so when I work with couples in therapy, this is something that often comes up, that there are things they haven't talked about. Um, even actually talking about sex, so often married couples have never talked about their sex life. And it could be mind-boggling to hear, but you hear it a lot that you realize it actually is a reality for many people. Again, especially in different cultures like the Iranian culture where sex is so taboo, people think you're not allowed to talk about sex. You shouldn't talk about sex. You, um, If you talk about being unhappy in the sexual relationship, your partner will take it offensively. If you're a woman and you talk about sex, um, that's bad itself. You're not even supposed to bring it up. And so, again, going back to girls and sex, the topic of the book I was talking about today, many times women who are now in a relationship, we might think, well, these things affect someone before they're married. When we talk about don't have sex, your pleasure is not important or not even talked about, your body is not important or talked about as far as things like the clitoris or other parts of the body. And so we give all these messages, but a lot of people think, well, then once you're married, everything is going to be okay. Um, but it's not so simple. Things are not a light switch when we have feelings about certain things. They don't just change because, okay, now we're married. So if we tell girls, first of all, you just don't tell them much about sex, but then also tell them if you have sex, you're bad. And bad is the best word I can say. Um, if you enjoy sex, that's also bad and shouldn't even be talked about. Um, and we give them all these messages and now we say, well, now that you're in a you know, marriage, enjoy sex. That's very difficult. And so, so often you will see that that guilt and that shame doesn't go away just because someone is now married. So they will be with their partner and now they're supposed to enjoy sex. It's supposed to be um, what they were waiting for, right? We tell girls, wait, you have to wait. You're supposed to wait. A good girl waits, all sorts of other things. And then now that they're married, we expect to now enjoy. This is what you were waiting for. But it's hard for them to not feel bad about sex because their whole life they've been given that message that it is bad. So unfortunately, uh, husbands and wives might not have these important conversations about sex because both of them won't feel it's okay. But especially a lot of times women have been given a very explicit message that they're not supposed to talk about sex at all. And so I recommend to you if you're in a relationship 
if you're married especially and you want to talk about that sexual relationship, you should be talking about the sexual relationship. What you like and don't like. Overall, are you satisfied with it? And it's one of these funny things because sometimes people say, you know what, sex is natural. So if you're having sex, it should just work out because it's natural. We have this natural instinct. But that's not the case. It's similar to things like parenting or even a romantic relationship overall, where the desire is natural. It's a desire to be with someone else. Having sexual desire is natural. But being good at it, or especially doing it right with the right person, doesn't mean it's just going to naturally happen. So wanting to be a parent, for example, is very natural. Many people have that instinct to want to be a parent. But being a good parent isn't just something natural. Knowing how to do everything from uh, the physical and medical side of things, but also the psychological and emotional development side, is not something that we just have in us, so we don't need to learn or think about Similarly, the sexual relationship, although we have that desire naturally, doesn't mean that you're going to have a healthy relationship with your partner without communicating about it. You're building something together. You're trying to make something together with your partner. And without communicating about it, it's very unlikely that you're already just going to get it right. So you should assume as a default that if we don't communicate about our sexual relationship, it won't be that good. Or even if it's good, it could definitely be much better if we communicate about the relationship uh, and the sexual relationship. So we want to make sure this is a topic we talk about. And again, it's not about one conversation. It's about opening up a topic of discussions between you and your partner that we can talk about sex. If you're the woman in the relationship, I understand um, of course, I also make it very clear there could be two women and two men in the relationship, but let's just say in a heterosexual relationship, if you're the woman in the relationship, you might feel like it's not my place to talk about sex or to even think about this. Um, sex is very often seen even in marriages as the domain where the male feels the pleasure and the woman is there kind of like, uh, almost like a spectator, but not a full participant. Uh, as was mentioned in this book by Peggy Orenstein, Girls and Sex, very often females, especially younger females and not in relationships, will often feel like their pleasure is not really that important. What's important is if their partner felt good. And if their partner felt good, then it was a good encounter. They don't really think much about their pleasure. But I hope that women recognize their pleasure is very important when it comes to their sexual relationships. And especially when uh, you are in a relationship, you should communicate that with your partner. Always you should be allowed to communicate that. But especially if you're with a long-term partner, it's something you should be communicating about. And it can be challenging, of course, especially if you are in a certain culture like the Iranian culture. I've worked with so many female uh, you know, individuals and also in couples where they say, I didn't think I was even allowed to talk about sex or to initiate sex or to say I like or don't like something because I was always told that this means you're somehow a bad woman if you think about your pleasure or if you think about sex or if you're not happy with the sex life, it means you're some type of a woman um, when really it's just part of your uh, right in the relationship to be able to have that um, part of yourself feel good with your partner, to connect with your partner in that way. So I'd hope women, I know it can be challenging to bring this topic up, but I hope they will take that 
risk if it feels that way to bring up the sexual relationship they're having with their partner, what they like and don't like, um, and to, and to see where that goes. And of course, as the men, hopefully you will bring it up too. I'm looking forward to reading the book, boys and sex, looking more at the male side of things. Um, but of course, anything that we're trying to make better in society, in a relationship, whatever it may, may be, we need everyone's participation in order to do that. So if we're trying to make things better for females when it comes to sex, of course, men have to be involved and vice versa. We need to all be involved to make it better. So if you're in a relationship, I'm hoping if you're the male in a heterosexual relationship, you will make it easier for your partner to talk to you about it. You will even bring it up and bring it up in a way that allows them to feel okay um, about what you're talking about. And here's one of the challenging parts about talking about the sexual relationship is that people take it personally. So if someone says they're not fully satisfied, rather than hearing we need to communicate more, we need to understand things more about each other and what's going on in this relationship, people can think, especially a male might think, well, that means I'm not good enough or you're in a way attacking my masculinity or my manhood by saying that. But that's not the case. Um, it's obviously a little bit different, but it's as if you're preparing a meal for someone, understanding what they like and how they like their food is not something that you just know, right? So it's interesting that when it comes to what we choose to eat, we, of course, will talk about it. This tastes good. This doesn't. I like this. I don't like this. But when it comes to our sexual relationship, all of a sudden we think everyone's just going to know um, what's right and wrong and what's good and what we like and don't like. It's a very faulty assumption, but unfortunately one that's all often, uh, all too often made. So I, I hope people will think about this a little bit more in their own relationships and Maybe even it gives you an excuse saying, I heard someone talking about this, so let's talk about it. Um, so I hope you will have that conversation and in general recognize that all too often we avoid the uncomfortable conversations, but this is how a relationship grows. This is how we get closer. Uh, I've even mentioned in this way, and it sounds a little bit maybe extreme to some people, but to complain to your partner can sometimes be the most loving thing you can do. Now, by complain, I don't mean nag in a way just to make them feel bad, but to express that you're not happy about something in the relationship can actually be one of the most important and loving things you can do to them. And this has come up in therapy before. Um, you'll see a couple and you'll talk about something and it'll come become clear that, let's say, the wife was unhappy about something the husband did. And when we explore deeper and try to think of why she didn't want to tell him, she says, well, it would hurt his feelings. I don't want to do that. So I was protecting him. It was because I love him. I didn't tell him. And the way I try to reframe this is to realize that when you bring something up to your partner, it's not that you want to insult them or hurt their feelings. What you're really saying is, I love you so much and I love our relationship and value our relationship so much that I want to talk to you about this. I'm bringing it up so that we can grow together. I'm bringing this up not to hurt your feelings, but to actually make us better. So it's not actually an act of hurting your partner. It's an act of love. And the reverse almost can be true as well. Holding it in as much as you might think, I'm going to be tolerant. I'm going to hold this in. I'm going to take it on myself. And that, in that way, I'm loving my partner. It actually might be hurting your partner and hurting your relationship. What happens when we say two people grew apart? I always think about this because if we say they grew apart, we in a way are assuming they started together and slowly they grew apart. 
And what I always say is before they got really far away, they should have said something much earlier to each other. Something was not right when they were a little bit apart. And if they actually had talked about things, maybe they could come together again. But if you wait too long, you become too far apart, and now there's too much distance to make up. And so we have to be willing to have those uncomfortable conversations. We have to be willing to talk about things that don't feel good. That's the only way we can make our relationship stronger. And so when I was reading this book, Girls and Sex, I was thinking about so often in romantic relationships, unfortunately, people uh, do not talk about their sexual relationship. And unfortunately, this can lead to problems. And of course, they don't talk about other things as well. So let's go to our last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadir Delaqui. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in this last segment, um, you know, I wanted to talk about coronavirus. It's hard to talk about anything but coronavirus, and there's so many different aspects of it we could discuss. Um, but of course, first and foremost, I wanted to uh, wish the best to everyone out there who has been affected and who continues to be affected by what's going on. And also uh, a reminder that we all can do what we can, which is, uh, as people have commented or you've seen maybe memes about this basically just sit at home and do nothing essentially but we need to do that in order to stop the spread of this virus and to reduce the lives that are lost uh, so many have already been lost unfortunately and so we want to try to reduce that with everything that we can so i hope you will do that and follow the the social distancing or the physical distancing as much as you can to help everyone else and even help ourselves in the long run um, and of course, another, uh, it goes without saying, but I do want to say it again to all the healthcare providers, everyone who's in essentially the front lines of this in war against an invisible enemy that we are fighting. Uh, a big thank you to them. Of course, they've done so much already and, and we, we know they'll continue to do so. And as they say, uh, they go to work for us. So we stay home for them. Um, but what I wanted to talk about is what we're going through and also hopefully what we go through going forward. And by that, I mean, uh, for a lot of us, not completely, but life has had to reset in some ways. A lot of things we used to do, we can't do anymore. Um, a lot of our time that was taken doing certain things, we can't be doing anymore. And so we have a lot of time. And so for a lot of us and me included, we're just saying, gosh, I want life to go back to normal. Um, we want it to go back to normal and we think of normal as how our lives used to be. And I miss so many things of how my life used to be um, just a month ago or a little bit more than that. And But what we also want to think about is, well, what were things that I accepted in my life? What were things that were part of my life that maybe I don't want or I don't want to go back to? Uh, what I think could be very sad is if people go back to normal, by normal, they do things that weren't helpful to them. For example, so many parents are spending more time with their kids. And of course, you see all the memes and videos about that, and some of them can be very funny, joking about how challenging it is, and it can be to spend so much time with your kids and also not be able to go out and do other things to entertain them. It can be a challenge, but of course, it's something very beautiful too that parents and kids are spending more time together. But I think what's so sad is that we're all rushing to get back to this normal, 
And part of that normal might be parents not seeing their kids or interacting with their kids so much or loved ones not connecting as much as they have during this time. And that's something that I think is very sad and unfortunate if we don't actually find a way to hold on to some of the things we've learned through this process. Um, things that we have in our life that we wish we can have more of things that we maybe don't want to have. Or if we just go back to life as it was before, where we don't recognize people who are suffering in different ways or ways that we are hurting one another that we might try to go back and continue doing. How unfortunate that would be if we were to do that. And so that's something I wanted to talk about. Now for each of us to take an inventory of your own life, you want to go back to normal, which makes sense. And there's a lot of the things in our routine that we're going to miss, and that's understandable. But at the same time, think about what are the things in your life that you wish were not there. Um, let's say you might realize when I go back to my life, I want to make sure I continue spending more time with certain people in my life, or I want to make sure I do more of this than what I was doing before. Um, or I want to be in a relationship or I don't want to be in the relationship that I was in. I think for a lot of people, they're realizing that life is more precious than we sometimes recognize. Very cliche and easy to say, but when you can't do everything you normally get to do, it does make you think about how um, maybe we should value the time we have more. So I hope people will think about um, the things in their own life. Take a personal inventory, go through your your days, your weeks of what your normal used to be and recognize, well, what is it that I want to keep and what are things I maybe don't want to have? Because as I always tell people, a lot of times we feel like our life happens to us. So our days and our weeks are not things that we uh, fully plan and have intention on how we want to spend our time, but actually it just becomes our schedule. Oh, I do this and then I do that and I do that. And then if there's a little bit of time, I do this and that's about, that's my life. But we have a lot more of a say in how we live our lives. So as things hopefully go back to normal, could be months before they start getting more close to, to normal. But let's think about what we want to have in our own lives, in our personal lives, and hopefully make that more a reality for us. We've been given this forced reset. We didn't choose to have this happen, but let's make sure we take advantage of that time. But also, I hope that we won't lose sight of people who are suffering before all of this happened. And I talked about this a bit last week, but it's striking me more and more as you see what's going on. Um, you'll hear stories of people here in the United States who, because they didn't have health insurance, are afraid to go get tested, are afraid to seek out medical help because they don't know if they'll be able to afford it. And even some of them might die or of course they might spread the disease to other people. And so again, here we see our interconnectedness where because some people are not taking care of us, all of us will suffer, all of us will pay. And of course that could be a selfish reason to do it, but hopefully we'll do it because it's the right thing to do. So before the coronavirus pandemic, there was lots of people who were suffering. There was crises going on around the world before this crisis that we're dealing with now. There were people who were living in poverty, people who didn't have access to health care, and so many other uh, injustices happening around the world, but they weren't affecting all of us, or we can say they weren't affecting the wealthy of us, 
and in a way we didn't think it was so important. And that's very unfortunate and very sad. And I really hope that all of us will recognize this and recognize that when we come together, there's much more that we can do than we realize. We sometimes think there's no way for us to to take care of everyone or to do certain things. I mean, three months ago, if someone told you we're going to be doing uh, social distancing as we're doing now and people would stay home, a lot of us probably wouldn't believe it. Maybe I would be included in that group to think, really, we're just going to mostly be at home and people are actually going to do that. But that's what people are doing. And why are we doing it? Because we know that this disease can kill many people. Maybe you yourself are at low risk. We all probably are at some risk to, to even die from it. Um, but we might feel like we're at low risk. But we stay home for other people. We stay home, of course, for the doctors, but we also stay home for people who are more vulnerable, who maybe could be seriously ill or even die from it. And I think that's a beautiful and wonderful thing that we have taken this so seriously, the well-being of other people. Maybe I won't get affected, but others will. And so hopefully we can take that forward when we think about how we live our lives and maybe we are okay, but if other people are not okay, maybe we'll recognize that we can do something about it. Maybe we have to sacrifice a little bit or in certain ways, but maybe it makes it so that other people get to live a better life, to be okay. Um, I've talked about this with a few friends that I've talked about on the air. A lot of the things I miss doing going to my, the coffee shop in the morning, going to restaurants with friends, going to the movies with friends, going to different events that are fun for me to go to. Those were things that lots of people didn't have access to before all of this happened. A lot of the comforts that I've experienced in my life, and I continue even still to experience in a way, even with everything that's going on, are things that others don't have access to. And so I invite you, when you feel this pain and discomfort of what's going on, when you feel um, uncertainty about the future, feel uncertainty about money and what's going to happen financially with everything you're dealing with. And of course, people are affected in a lot of different ways, but keep in mind that there are some people that were dealing with this type of pain before any of this started and will continue to even if we go back to normal, if things go back to how they were before any of this happened. And I think that's really unfortunate if we don't think about their pain. And so we know that a good way to feel empathy for others, or really the only way we can feel true and strong empathy for others, is to be connected to our own pain. If you've been sad before, even they've found that people who have been depressed tend to be more empathic. They are good at connecting with others. They've felt pain, they've connected to that pain, and it allows them to connect to the pain of other people. So I hope that if you feel this pain and uncertainty of what's going on, try to hold on to that or at least remember it so that when things hopefully go back to some type of normal, things do get better as far as what we're doing, dealing with this pandemic, that we won't just forget those who are suffering around the world in different ways. We'll see that there are people that are still feeling that pain. Remember what that pain feels like to remember that there's others who are suffering and they don't deserve it, especially if we can do something about it. There will always be pain in the world. There will always be suffering in the world. But we can do a lot to reduce that suffering. There are many people who suffer unnecessarily. Because if you um, are, for example, uh, don't have enough food to eat, don't have health care, those are things that very often 
we have, but we are not just getting it to those people. And I know it's simple and can be idealistic to just think, okay, let's make sure we feed all the people and give shelter to all the people and give healthcare to all the people. I know how it can sound, but I also think, let's think about how it sounds to know that we have enough food and medicine to take care of so many more people, but we don't. How will our kids, grandkids, future generations look back at us when they say, wait, they had enough of these things, but they didn't get it to people and people died because of that. They had a medication, but people died because they didn't have enough money. And so that somehow is okay. So I know it could sound simplistic to say, let's just feed the whole world and heal the world and all these kumbaya cliche things. But really there's truth to them because think of how simple and stupid it is for it not to be the case, for it not to be true that when we had something, we didn't take care of our fellow brothers and sisters around the world when we could. And I hope that through all this pain, through everything we're going through, we won't lose sight that when people are suffering, even when it's not us, we should care about it. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. When people are suffering, we should always care. And that's something that's been nice to see in this pandemic is that Um, Of course, there are those people who have not been doing their part, but the vast majority of people are doing what they can to help other people and to help each other. And I think that's a wonderful thing, a beautiful thing that I hope we will carry forward with us, that we won't lose sight of that. Um, And we all have to do our part. I know it's easy to say, I'm saying it too. And as I'm saying it, to be honest, I'm reflecting on myself and what more I can do, because I obviously haven't done enough. We are responsible for the world we are living in, and let's take that responsibility very seriously. So again, wishing everyone the best during this challenging time, uncertain time. Um, For many of us, this uncertainty is not going to feel good. And if you're already prone to anxiety, then even more you're going to feel not good during this situation. And so um, that being said, I'm hopeful that we will get through this. I just hope we get through it different than how we did going into it, that we will consider the well-being of all the people of the world and realize that when we do something about it, results happen. We all can make sacrifices to make the lives of others better, and I hope we won't forget that going forward. So that brings us uh, to the end of tonight's show. Tried it on Instagram Live. I probably will do it more, so we'll try that again. But let me tell you about the book of the week again. It's Boys and Sex, Young Men on Hookups, Love, Porn, Consent, and Navigating the New Masculinity by Peggy Orenstein. Hard to get into the shot here. Um, as always, send me your recommendations for books. I actually got a bunch of books to make sure I had them in case I couldn't buy any more during uh, lots of stores closing and things like that. But I always appreciate people who send me those recommendations, so thank you very much. And also thank you to everyone, lots of people sending positive uh, messages to me during this time. But of course, uh, back out to all of you as well, wishing you all the best during this pandemic, but we will get through this and hopefully get through it better and also more caring and compassionate for all our brothers and sisters. Uh, Thank you to Amir who is here in the studio. I appreciate him coming in. We have been doing less live shows because of everything that's going on, but we took some precautions to make sure we'd be okay. But thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delacqui. Have a wonderful night. Thank you.